God says that we are. We're learning who we are in Christ. You know, I think for a lot of people, a lot of believers and those that aren't even believers, I think a lot of times our biggest problem is we don't really know who we are. You know, we might know who we think we are. We might know who other people say that we are, but I think sometimes one of our greatest challenges is that we don't really know who we are in Christ. And in this series, we're going to be talking about who we are and who God has said that we are in Him. And we started talking a little bit last week about the fact that many times we get it kind of mixed up and we start to bring our identity out of things that really shouldn't be what identifies us. I mean, last week we talked about sometimes we think we are who we are because of what we do, right? It's like, hey, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, I'm a pastor, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a whatever. And because of what we do, we think that's what makes us who we are. And sometimes it can be like, hey, I am who I am because of what I've accomplished. Like I was successful and I'm a good businessman or I won some awards or I made some good grades in school or whatever. And so that makes me who I am. But the opposite is also true sometimes that we can actually start to think we are who we are because of how we weren't very successful, how we failed, how we messed up our flaws and our mistakes. And we can, we can find our identity so many times in, in what we do or sometimes we can even start to find our identity in what others have done to us. Like, hey, I'm a victim or I'm a divorcee or I am a single mom, or I'm someone who's been through abuse, or I'm, I'm someone that has been abandoned. And we can find many times our identity in what we do or when, what others have done to us. Sometimes we can find our identity in where we're from. Like, hey, I'm just from Burleson, or I'm from, you know, Alvarado, or I'm a country hick from, I'm not going to say a name, but I'm from Cleburne or whatever, you know. I'm just messing with you if you're from Cleburne. I'm just messing with you. And I am who I am because of where I'm from or because of what kind of family that I was raised in or maybe because of the kind of people that I hang out with. Like I'm, you know, it's like when you're in high school, I'm a jock or I'm a nerd or I'm a smart kid or I'm a popular kid or whatever. And we find our identity so many times in all of these things that really aren't who we are. And we learned last week that we are not who we are because of what we have done. We're not who we are because of what others have done to us. We're not who we are. for any of these other factors, we are who we are because of what Christ has done. We are who we are because of who he is. It reminds me of this guy in the Bible. I want to begin today talking about his story. We find it in Exodus chapter 3. You can turn there today in Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 11. While you're turning there, let me just kind of set it up for you. You might know of this guy. He's a guy named Moses. How many ever heard of a guy named Moses before? Moses, in this passage, he finds himself out in the middle of the field. He's tending to his father-in-law's sheep. And you got to know a little bit about how he got out into the middle of the field. I mean, Moses was an orphan. He was, he was adopted into the, the Pharaoh's house. And Moses, was though he was adopted by Pharaoh, he was not an Egyptian. He was actual, actually a Hebrew. He was a Jewish man. And as he grew, he saw the slavery of his people. And he saw how his people were being mistreated and it angered him and one day he became so angry that when he saw one of his Jewish people being mistreated he got angry and he and he murdered 
murdered. He killed one of the Egyptian uh, slave masters. And because of that, he had to be a fugitive. And he ran off into the wilderness. And now we find him 40 years later. He's out in the wilderness tending to his father-in-law's sheep. And all of a sudden, out in the distance, he sees a bush that is burning. And he goes to the bush that is burning. And he realizes that it's burning, but it's not burning up. It's not being consumed. And a voice from heaven, the voice of God speaks to this man, Moses, and he says, I am the God of your forefathers. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I am calling you to go back to the land of Egypt and to bring my people out of slavery. And that's where we pick up in verse number 11. God says, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In verse number 11, it says, but Moses protested to God, who am I? Everybody say, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Israel, the people of Israel out of of Egypt. See, Moses is kind of having a little bit of an identity crisis. God says, I am the God of your fathers. And Moses says, I know you are, but who am I? Anybody ever said that before, right? If you have older brothers, older sisters, even if you had a little brother, little sister, you've probably said something like that before. They say, you're ugly. And you say, I know you are, but what am I, right? Come on. You're mean. I know you are, but what am I? I'm rubber and you're glue and whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you, right? Anybody ever said that? Come on. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? And that's kind of what's happening here is that he goes, hey, I know you are God, but who am I? And he's having a little bit of a crisis of identity. Like many of us, the biggest problem is that we know who God is, but we don't really know who we are in Christ. And you can imagine what's going on in Moses in his mind as he's there and God is calling him and God is speaking to him. I'm thinking all of the labels that must have been placed upon Moses' life. He could have been thinking, man, I'm just an orphan. Man, I, I'm a murderer. Man, I've got a problem with my temper. Man, man, I'm a fugitive. Man, here I am. I'm out in the middle of a field. I'm just a shepherd tending to these sheep, and they're not even my sheep. They belong to my father-in-law. Can you imagine what's happening in Moses' mind as God is calling him, as God is speaking to him, and God says, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses says, I know you are, but who am I? What about me? Who am I that God would use me to do something great? God responds to Moses, but he doesn't respond in the way that we would think that he would respond. He doesn't respond by telling Moses who Moses is, but look at this in verse number 12. And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God replies, verse 14, I am who I am. Everybody say, I am who I am. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. You see, when Moses says, I know you are, but who am I? God doesn't respond by saying to Moses, Moses, this is who you are. God responds by saying, Moses, let me tell you who I am. 
That brings me to kind of our key thought, our kind of bottom line for today's message. It's going to be on the screen. I want you to read it aloud with me today. Are you ready? One, two, three. When I see who God is, he will show me who I am. When I see who God is, guess what will happen? He will begin to show me who I am. You see, for most of us, the problem is not in, in how we see ourselves. The problem is not seeing ourselves. The problem is how we see God. If we would just get a picture of who He is, if we could really just see God the way that He really is, then He would begin to reveal to us who we really are. We see this same theme all the way through Scripture. And I want to talk about it for just a, a few minutes here today. I want to talk about a couple of different passages where we see this theme running through. Well, the first one is in this guy in the book of Mark, chapter 10, and verse number 46. It's a guy, his name is Bartimaeus. Everybody say Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. Let's just read it and talk about it for a minute. In verse number 46, it says, As Jesus was leaving town, trailed by the disciples and a parade of people, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting alongside the road. And when he heard that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. Many tried to hush him, but he yelled all the louder, Son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped him in his, stopped in his tracks and said, call him over. And so they called him over. It's your lucky day. Get up. He's calling you to come. And throwing off his cloak, he was on his feet. And at once he came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what can I do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. On your way, said Jesus, your faith has saved and healed you. And in that very instant, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, in this story, we see a guy who has an identity issue. In fact, we can see it right there in his name. Actually, as we study this, we will see that all of the other, all the other gospels besides the gospel of Mark don't even give this guy a name. And at first glance, we think that, hey, this guy's name is Bartimaeus. But if we really study and we really look, we find out that Bartimaeus wasn't even really this guy's name. He's not even named because the next, the next part, the next words in that verse say he was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Well, that word Bartimaeus in the Hebrew, the, par, the bar part actually means son of. So we find that here's this guy who doesn't even have a name. In the scripture, they don't even tell us what his name is. All they do is they tell us that he was the son of a guy named Timaeus. Now, that can cause some identity issues. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before in your life, but I know I've experienced this before in my life. You know, I don't know if you've ever met my dad. He was here on, uh, on Saturday for our Easter, one of our Easter worship experiences. If you've ever seen him, like he looks a lot like me, or I guess I should say I look a lot like him, right? And sometimes people will even mistake him for me, and he's 20 years older than me, so that's just not a good thing for me, you know what I'm saying? And when I first started in ministry, like I was young, and my dad was a very successful pastor, he had done a lot, and I remember I used to hate this, it doesn't bother me now, but I used to hate this when people would say, oh, you're Mike Benson's son. Anybody ever had something like that happen to you before? It's like maybe some of you had, some of you had like a bigger brother that was good at sports, and so they would say, oh, you're so-and-so's brother, or you're so-and-so's sister, right? And it's like, that's a good thing, but it's also not really a a good thing because you want them to know you for who you are, right? 
And here's this guy, and the only way that they know him is they know him by, here's a guy whose name that we call him in the Bible is the son of another guy named Timaeus. Can you imagine how this would create some identity issues in this guy's life? Not only that, but he wasn't just known as son of Timaeus. He was also known as blind beggar. How many of you would like to be known as blind beggar? Hey, blind beggar, come over here. I want to tell you something. Hey, blind beggar, I got something for you, right? In fact, that's actually the opposite of what they did. Actually, they said, hey, blind beggar, stay over there. Because as he called out, Jesus, have mercy on me, the disciples and the people who were around said to Bartimaeus, they said, hey, you're not even important enough to come to Jesus. Don't bother the master. Be quiet. Stay over there. Be seen and not heard. You're a nobody. You don't even have a name. You don't even have a real identity other than the fact that you are a blind beggar. Some of you, maybe you're sitting in this room today and maybe those are the ways that you find yourself being identified. You are identified by what you have done or what has happened to you and you wonder, does Jesus even care about me? If I called out to him, would everybody else say, be quiet, don't bother the master? I got good news for you here today is that there are no nobodies when it comes to God. If you will cry out to him, if you will call out to him, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your parents did. It doesn't matter where you came from or what you have done. There is a God that if you will just call out to him, he will reach out to you today. This blind man, he calls out, Jesus, son of David. Everybody say son of David. Son of David, have mercy on me. It's really significant that he uses that phrase, son of David. You see, up until this point, no one had ever called Jesus the son of David. This is actually the first time that he was ever called that in all of the Gospels. Up until this time, they had called him Jesus of Nazareth. Now, some of you say, well, why is that significant? Well, it's really very significant because the Jews in that day would have known the prophecies and they would have known that the Messiah was prophesied to have come from the line, from the lineage of David. So when the blind man was calling out son of David, he was actually seeing something. Even though he was blind and he could not see in the physical, he was actually seeing something for the first time that nobody else had seen in the spiritual. When he cried out, son of David, have mercy on me, he was actually saying, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he is the Messiah sent for the sins of the world. Here's what I want you to see. When this blind man saw something that nobody else had seen, When he saw Jesus for who he really was, guess what happened? God began to show this blind man who he really was. In fact, we see it right here in this passage. Look what happens. Jesus calls the man over to him. In verse number 49, it says Jesus stopped in his tracks, and he calls him over. And they called to him. It's your lucky day. Get up. He's calling you to come. And look at this phrase, throwing off his cloak. Everybody say, throwing off his cloak. Throwing off his cloak, he was at once at his feet and he came to Jesus. Now that's so important that he threw off his coat or he threw off his cloak. You say, why is that important? Well, in those days, the coat or the cloak that a blind man would wear was what identified him as a blind man. 
In fact, we see it in our day that if someone was blind, they would probably have a white cane, right? And that would be their identity. That would be what would let everyone know that they are blind. And this man was a blind man. His coat that he wore was a blind man's coat that identified him. It was his identity to the rest of the world. He would wear it around so everyone would know he was a blind man. But not just so that they would know he was a blind man, but it also identified him as a beggar. Because he would take off that coat and he would lay it on the ground and he would beg and people would come and they would bring their alms and they would lay them in that cloak that he would wear. So it's incredibly significant that when he sees who Jesus is, son of David, the Messiah, the one that has come for the sins of the world, when he sees who Jesus really is, then what happens? His eyes, even though he's physically blind, his eyes are spiritually open to see himself for who he really is. And the Bible says he takes his coat and he throws his coat aside. What he was doing was he was throwing aside his old identity. That was who I was, but this is who I am. The Bible says he runs to Jesus. And on that day, he doesn't just receive his doesn't just receive his physical sight. He receives a spiritual sight that as he began to really identify who Jesus was, that Jesus began to open his eyes to see who he really was. And the Bible says that he followed Jesus along the road. One of the only times in the whole scripture where Jesus healed someone and that person that was healed began to follow Jesus. In other words, here's a man who was a blind man, who didn't have a name, who was a beggar. But when he realized who Jesus really was, he threw off his old identity and he began to have a new identity. I was a beggar. I was blind. But now I see and now I am a follower of Christ. Some of you are here today and some of you have... Some old identities, maybe you have some old coats that you're wearing, some old labels, some things that have happened to you, some things that you have done, some failures and some faults that cause you to think that that's who I am. But I'm here to tell you today, if you could just get a vision, if you could just get a fresh revelation of who Jesus is, he would begin to reveal to you who he has created you to be. We see it in this guy, Bartimaeus. We also see it. In another story, this story is found in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 13. It's about a guy named Peter, and actually his name is not Peter at first. As we find in this passage, his name is Simon. We'll see the significance of that in just a minute. Verse number 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer over it. You know, it's interesting sometimes, isn't it, that we live our life based on what some people say about us. We can live our lives based on what other people think. Maybe we grew up and our parents said, you'll never amount 
too much. Maybe we had a baseball coach or a high school teacher that said, you're just average and you're never going to amount to much. And so many times we can find our worth and our identity in what other people have said about us. We worry so much about what are people going to think? And if I do this or if I live for God or if I live my life in such and such way, what will other people think about me? Well, I got good news for you here today. In fact, I'm going to set some of you free here today. If we only knew, if we only knew how much people are not even thinking about you, you wouldn't be so worried about what they're thinking about you. Isn't that true? I mean, the truth is, is that most people ain't thinking about you. You know what they're thinking about? They're thinking about what you're thinking about them. And so many times we're worrying about what do people think about me or what will other people say? And we live our lives based on what somebody else has said about us. And if we live our lives based on what other people say and what other people think, I'm here to tell you, we will miss what God has said and what God thinks about us. And we could miss opportunities to be used of God if all we do is worry about what everybody else thinks. In fact, I heard this story. I thought it was pretty awesome. I wanted to share it with you about this guy. He was a worship leader. He wrote some worship songs. One time he was writing a song, and he didn't feel very good about the song. He felt kind of insecure about it. And so he asked one of his friends, that, who was also a worship leader, a very famous worship leader, in fact, a guy named Matt Redman. Anybody ever heard of Matt Redman before? Matt Redman sings many of the songs, wrote many of the songs that we sing in church, Blessed Be Your Name, and songs like that. And so he asked his friend, what do you think about this song? His friend Matt actually said, you know what? I don't think it's really your best work. In fact, I think it, you know, the chorus sounds a little bit too much like a, a, a verse, and it's a little bit too much like a hymn for my taste, really, and I just don't really think it's some of your best work. And so the man was a little insecure about the song, and he put the song away, and he never, never sung it anymore. Until one day he was doing some work around the church, the song was in his mind, and so he just started kind of humming it and kind of singing it, and his pastor heard him humming and singing the song. He said, what song is that? I haven't heard that one before. He said, oh, it's really not very good. It's just something that I'm working on. You know, the chorus sounds a little bit too much like a verse, and it's a little too much like a, like a hymn, and it's really not any good. And his pastor said, no, that's the best song I've heard you write. In fact, we're going to sing that song on Sunday. And so they sang the song on Sunday, and it went a little bit something like this. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Anybody ever heard this song? Here I am to say that you're my God. But I almost didn't record it because Matt Redman was an idiot. <laughs> Just imagine. One of the songs that we've been singing for the past 10 years in church, one of the most famous songs that is ministered to so many people as people have worshipped God with that song would have never been written, would have never been recorded if he would have listened to what some people have to say. And I'm here to tell you today that there are some things inside of you that maybe you feel insecure about. There are some things inside of you that God wants to bring out and to use for good things, for his kingdom. He wants to use you in great ways. But you can't live your life worrying about what some people will think or what some people will say. Jesus says, I don't really care so much about what other people are thinking, Peter. Here's what I want to know. I want to know, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? Peter has this God moment. It was obvious that it was a God moment. 
Jesus said, hey, this didn't come from man. This didn't come from listening to what other people say. This only came from listening to what God says. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Check Check it out. Verse number 16, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And you did not learn this from any human being. Check this out, verse 18. And now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. Everybody say rock. You are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now check this out. Before this revelation, before Simon sees who Jesus really is, his name's not Peter, his name is Simon. You know what Simon means? Simon means shifty. Simon means unstable. Simon means someone who is unfaithful. Simon means someone who is inconsistent. And before this revelation of who Jesus really was, that's what Peter was. We saw it. He was the guy who was always wishy-washy. He was the guy who said, I'll never deny you three times, never deny you, Jesus. And then before the end of the night, he denies him three times. He was the guy that said, Jesus, let me walk on the water. And he walks on the water for a little bit, and then he falls down. Well, he is the guy who gets scared, and he takes a sword and he slashes the guy's ear off. He was the guy who was the loose cannon. He was shifty. He was up one day, down the next day. But when he saw who Jesus really was, when he saw the identity, when he saw that he was the Messiah, then look what happened. God showed him who he really was. And before he was Simon, which meant shifty and which meant unstable and which meant unfaithful. But now that he saw who Jesus really was, Jesus Jesus says, now I'm going to tell you who you are. You are not Simon. You are Peter and you are a rock. It's so powerful. When we truly understand, when we truly see who Jesus is, when we see him, when we see beyond all of our, what we've heard in the past, what mom has said or what dad has said or what anybody else has said, and we truly get a fresh revelation of who Jesus is, the master and the savior, the king who has come for the, for the, savi- for the salvation of the world. When we truly see who he is, he begins to reveal to us who we truly are. Now, I know some of you are here today and you're saying, man, I really want to know who I am. I want to know who I am in God. And I understand that if I'm going to know who I am, I've got to understand who God is. But I just don't know how do I get to know God? How do I really know him and see him in this way? I just want to get real practical, practical for just a second. If you're taking notes, I, a couple things I want you to write down. The first thing is this. If you really want to get to know God, you're going to have to spend some time with him. See, Peter came about this revelation of who Christ was because he had spent time with Christ on a daily basis for three and a half years. Walked with him, talked with him, ate with him. Everywhere that he went, Jesus Jesus was there. Peter was there with him. And I'm here to tell you today that if you really want to know who God is, it's going to take more than a Sunday morning attendance. Hey, you should be in church every Sunday, right? It's going to take more than that. It's going to take a daily walk with God. It's going to take opening up the word of God and beginning to dig in to know who he is. This is his, this is his word to us. And if we want to get to know him, we got to get to know what his word says. 
We got to take it and open it and listen and listen to his word. The scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we want our faith to be built and if we want to know who Christ really is, we've got to get into his word. We've got to listen to the word. We've got to read the word. We've got to spend time in his presence. It might mean that, hey, we turn off the sports radio and we turn on some worship music in our car when we're on the way to work and we spend some time in his presence. It might mean that you get your you get your version Bible app on your phone and you, don't, you know you can even turn it on there where you can listen to it and as you're driving around in the car when you're working out you put it in your headphones and you listen to it and you spend time in his presence and you get some worship music on at home and you turn the country music off or you turn the other stuff off and you start to listen to the word of God and you start to get into his presence and the more you get into the presence of God the more you know who he is and the more you learn who he is the more he will reveal to you who he has called you to be. Take some time. It's going to take some tests. Everybody say tests. Nobody likes a test. I don't like tests. Man, I hate taking tests. Here's what's so great about a test, though, is a test will show you what you know. And man, when you go through the test, guess what's going to happen? It's going to show you what you know. And the more you know God, when you go through the test, you're going to learn what you know. And here's what's great about a test is that when you go through a trial, when you go through a test, here's what's revealed, who you really are. Who you really are is revealed in the test. In fact, that's what the scripture says in James 1 and 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's the deal, man. When you go through some struggles and some trials and some tests, what's going to happen is that the real you is going to come out, and God is going to build you into the, into the mature and the complete person of God that he has created you and he has called you to be it's not going to take it's not going to happen overnight it's going to take time it's going to take some struggles it's going to take some trials it's going to be a process in fact when Jesus told Peter that he was Simon that he is now Peter he didn't automatically become a rock in fact, after that was when he did all those things, when he cut the guy's ear off, when he fell asleep, when he should have been praying, when he denied Christ. It was all after that. And there were many times that he didn't live up to his name. But he never quit. He never gave up. He continued to press into the presence of God. He continued to press through the struggles and the trials. And you know, Peter became one of the greatest men of God that ever lived. Peter was the man who, the same guy who couldn't even admit that he knew Jesus in front of that little teenage girl, was the same guy who on the day of Pentecost stood up in front of thousands and boldly proclaimed the word of God and 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. He was the same guy that we read what he wrote in the New Testament, the book of First and Second Peter. I was reading in First Peter just this past week and I came across what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 and verse 23. He says, For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end for your new life. What's he talking about? He's talking about a new identity. You've been born again. Your new life, look at this, will last forever because it comes from the eternal, the living word of God. Not what other people say, but what God says. And as the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will remain forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. 
As I was reading that, man, I, I couldn't help but wonder. When Peter was writing that powerful passage, maybe he was thinking about that moment in his life when his identity was changed forever. Maybe as he was writing that passage, maybe he was remembering that time when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he said with boldness, I say that you are Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked back at him and he said, that's right, Peter. And and people didn't reveal that to you. Some people that said this or that, they didn't reveal that to you. That was revealed to you by God. And I say that you are Peter, a rock, that you are one that was unstable, that was shifty, that was unfaithful, but now you you are a rock. You are and you are faithful. I can't help but wonder as he was writing those words, the grass withers and the flowers fade. And that's what people are like. I can't imagine if he was thinking, man, that's how I was. Man, I was shifty and I was unstable. But the word of God, when I decided to listen to the word of God, to stop listening to what some people were saying, to not listen to what my parents said or what somebody else said about me, that this is who I am or this is what I have to be or this is how I have to live and instead I begin to listen to what God's word says about me that before I was like a grass that would wither or a flower that would fade but now I am a rock that I am built upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ